The Your Safe Space podcast is recorded on Wurundjeri land. This podcast acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Your Safe Space, the podcast. I'm your host, Adele Marie, and this podcast is here for you. It is a safe space for us to catch up each week to discuss anything and everything. And on today's show, we are doing another AMA on air. Happy Friday, everyone. How are you going? How has your week been? And happy March. We are into a new month. So it's here. This year is absolutely flying by. I hope that you've all had a great month and I hope that you've had a great start to March as well. I'm going to give you a cheeky reminder. I wouldn't usually do this in an AMA episode, but if you have some time, it's a good time to do a monthly journal session. So I've got some prompts on the Your Safe Space pod Instagram. Go and check it out. There'll be some there for you to use. It can take five minutes. That's a small chunk of your day and it can just help you clear your mind as we head into a new month. All right, let's get into today's show. If you are new here, I forgot to add AMA stands for Ask Me Anything. Every Monday night on my Instagram at Adele Marie, we do a Q&A box and you guys submit questions. If you want something answered on these episodes, all you have to do is leave a little microphone in the comment and it will eventually get answered on the show. I had someone actually message me this morning saying, I submitted so many last week and I submit so many this time and it never gets on. And to that, I just want to say, I see every single one. I get hundreds of them. Eventually, they will all get answered. I'm very grateful that you guys submit it because I feel like we will always have some questions for the AMA on air, but I'll eventually get there if I can. All right, now let's get into today's show. As always, this podcast is not a substitute for therapy or professional mental health support. If you need this, please check the show notes. We also have a juicy AMA today, guys. It's a mixed bag of questions. We have a relationship question, a therapy question, and then a work and career question. And I don't want to waste any time. So let's get right into it. Question number one. This is a juicy one. So bear with me as I read it out. There was a few installments to it. (laughs) I feel like I'm on an emotional roller coaster in my relationship. My girlfriend and I have been together for two years, but we have been up and down for the last three to six months. I don't know if it is normal for us to be like this or if we are just not right together. I have found it quite exhausting and it is making me feel disconnected and cold. I can't bounce back after a fight that seems like it's going to be a breakup. Thank you to this listener for sending it through. As always, any AMA questions are kept private and anonymous, but this question was actually sent in by a male listener of your safe space. We have a very small percentage of 2% of male listeners, but I am so glad that you felt like you could submit this. And I am really sorry that you are experiencing something like this. My heart broke when I read your question because the last line really just like hit me hit my soul. I can't bounce back after a fight that seems like it's going to be a breakup. I don't know about you guys, but I have definitely been in some relationships where the fighting was to that extreme, where it wasn't just a disagreement or an argument. It was a blow up to the extreme where I thought we would break up. And that is not a nice thing to experience. And I feel it deeply. I can resonate. And I think it can be quite exhausting if you're in a relationship where the highs are really high and then the lows are really low. And it can be really confusing if you are in the thick of it. It can be very confusing weighing up if it is a rough patch in your relationship that you're going through that you can work through, or if it is not an aligned relationship, or maybe 
the relationship has run its course. There was also some more context provided to this question. The listener had told me or had said that things can be really good and then like a switch, it could be anything, even something small, but it gets blown out of proportion. Now, I definitely want to do another episode on conflict and arguments, especially in relationships, because I think it is so interesting. And I think it is normal. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's unavoidable. I think it's also part of being in a relationship. I would think it's strange if you don't argue with your partner. It is highly unlikely that your partner is going to be happy with you 100% of the time and vice versa. And it's not really how often you fight or like what you're fighting about. Yes, that matters as well. But the key thing is how you fight and the way in which you have the fight. And I think conflict is not something that we are taught. I mean, it's not something we are taught consciously. It's something that we're actually taught subconsciously. And this is what I want to cover in that episode. But as a child, when you see your caregivers acting out conflict or you see your caregivers having an argument or you see the adults in your life, maybe it's, I don't know, things at school, parents, things like that, that then impacts how you go on to display conflict as an adult. And I think some of us may have unhealthy argument patterns or may have unhealthy conflict styles, but I also think healthy arguing is a really good thing and can lead you to a better relationship, lead you closer to your partner, help you make improvements and help you have your needs met. And so as I said, I'll do a deeper dive on that. I just want to get to this listener question today and I want to talk about communication and some of the thoughts and tips I have that could give this listener an indication of it's not effective communication and maybe, as I said, the relationship has run its course. Just to quickly add, and I'll I'll talk about this at the end of the question, but in one of my past relationships that I was in, I actually went to couples therapy. And so some of the stuff that I'm going to give you, I learned in couples therapy. And I'll get to that in a second. But tip number one is looking at what is going on the next time you have an argument. So I want you to see, are your arguments being drawn out longer than necessary? Is there a resolution to the argument? Is there silent treatment from you? Is there silent treatment from the other partner? Are either of you moving on to another topic without addressing the root cause? Are you going back to past history or past problems? Are you talking about past arguments in the argument that you're having? Is the fighting escalating to personal attacks about your character or are you doing that vice versa to your partner? All of these can be very uncomfortable to experience and I would say probably indicate an unhealthy conflict style at play, but it can give us a starting point. Now, I'm going to give you the rest of the tips and obviously I'm giving the advice to you, to this listener, but I want you to listen to what I'm saying and see if your partner is also doing this or not doing this in return. So tip number two is to start practicing as you are right now in your relationship, arguing effectively and arguing in a more healthy style. So this is being very clear and direct in your approach. It is talking about how you feel without blaming your partner and vice versa, your partner not blaming you. I have spoken a lot about I statements when you are having hard conversations or when you're asking for things that you want. And I think that you can communicate with your partner that you are unimpressed with their behavior or unimpressed with things without attacking them. And it is a conscious effort. I know when things get heated to not do that, but it is something that you should start to practice to see if that changes the dynamic between you. And on this tip, it also looks like practicing forgiveness after a conflict and practicing repair. You did reference that you were feeling a bit cold 
and disconnected. And I think what likely happens is that after an argument, we can stay stuck in the argument, but it really is a conscious effort to choose to have the argument, see it resolved, and then move into a better feeling or move into a better position between the two of you so that you can start that repair. And that leads into my tip number three, which is de-escalate where you can. I am a huge believer in the fact that a relationship is a two-way street. In an argument, you have two options. You can add fuel to the fire or you can add water. Add water. And the reason I say this is because through my past experience, you add water by actively listening. You add water by showing that there is attention to the issues that are being raised. You add water by even having a break. I know that for some people, and I'm one of these people, when you enter into a conflict, you can feel like this overwhelming rush of like emotions and it can get quite heated. It can get quite heavy. That is actually called um, a thing called flooding. And if you are feeling that flooding sensation of emotion, it's okay to take a breather and say, hey, can we come back to this in five minutes? I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed right now. Or hey, can we take a break and come back to this in 15 minutes? I just need a timeout so I can collect myself. Giving your partner a time frame, telling them that you, that you want to come back and talk about it. But having that time and space apart instead of like just going for each other and attacking each other and adding fuel to the fire. Tip number four is to look at conflict with a problem-solving attitude. And it is also looking at the issues that you guys are having objectively. So it's not you versus your partner. It's you two versus the problem. And it is really trying not to prove a point, trying not to win. Arguments are not about that. Arguments are not about winning or being right. It is having each other's backs while trying to meet each other's needs. And there's compromise there as well. It's not about winning and it's not about, you know, versing each other in the argument. Tip number five is to have a conversation about this with your partner. Communicate it. Communicate that you are going to start practicing these things. Communicate that you want to start learning how to argue effectively. On that, it does take time to learn new habits. It does take time to learn new behavior. But I truly think that if you want to work on it with your partner, you can. The other thing I want to add is I feel like some relationships could be saved by having better communication and conflict styles. And so I'm going to give you a page. It's a page on Instagram. It's my favorite therapy page for couples. And it is also the, I guess, research of the psychologist that I went to with my ex at the time when we were in couples therapy. So the page is Gottman Institute on Instagram. So it's G-O-T-T-M-A-N Institute. And if you want to raise it with your partner, you could even maybe send them some of their content to open that line of communication. I think that could be a great starting point for you. I will say, obviously, in my experience, the couples therapy didn't help that relationship because we broke up anyway, and it was very toxic and very unhealthy. But I learned so much from it. I learned so much from it the next time um, I get into a relationship. I learned so much about how I argue and how I enter into conflict. And of course, lastly, on this question, because I try to give a balanced approach everywhere. If you have tried this and if you have tried your best and your partner is still not giving you that compromise, your partner is not giving you that willingness, your partner is not treating you with respect, your partner is not actively listening, or it is starting to feel like this is not a relationship that you can see yourself working through, then that is also okay as well. I do believe that relationships take work and at the same time, I also believe in looking after yourself and sometimes that looks like walking away from people or relationships that don't serve us. So good luck to this listener. 
As always, there will be a thread in the Facebook group. Come and drop your thoughts if you have been in a similar circumstance. And I'd love to know if you are in a relationship and you have worked through your argument style and your conflict style and are now in a better place because of it, because I think there is some magic in there into helping a relationship last longer. Moving on to our next question. Number two, I have booked in for my first therapy appointment thanks to you. How do I tell my work I need time off to go? And firstly, can I get a round of applause for this listener. I'm just going to clap to myself in the studio here. And any other listener out there who has taken the scary decision and admitted or put their hand up that they need help and gone and got it, it is it is hard. It takes courage. And it makes my heart so happy when you guys do that. I always tell you, it's not me. I love that you say, because of you, I did this. No, it's not me. It's actually you. So don't discredit yourself. I simply hold the space for you. And if you see that you need some extra help and you go and get it. That's on you. And that should make you really proud of yourself too. Now you guys would know therapy. I'm a huge advocate for it. It's one of the best things I have ever done for myself. And I hope that your first session goes well to this listener. But as for this question, I have a pretty strong stance on treating it like a doctor's appointment or treating it using your sick leave or your sick time. And I also have another bit of advice. It is to book your appointment for the last session of the day, if you can. I don't know about you guys, if you are in therapy, you might be able to relate, but I can often feel very exhausted after it. I can almost feel hungover after it. And so for me, I just want to have my therapy session, have my dinner, go home, go to bed, not talk to anybody because that's what it does to me. Not every time, but I'm going to say eight times out of 10, it usually does that. I usually feel quite drained and exhausted after it. And so I don't think I would go back to work after that. I think doing something chill, having a self-care night is more suited to me. And so if I was you, I would say make your appointments later in the day or on a day that you know you're not working. And if you can't do that and you have to do it in work time, then request to use sick hours or sick time. And you could try to communicate this to your employer with this context. I feel like I'm very grateful in my last workplace. They were so good with me. They always let me use my sick leave if I needed a mental health day. They let me use my sick leave if I needed um, to leave to go to therapy. As I said, I would book it later in the day though. But um, it was very much, I was very much an open book with them and it seemed to work really well. And I feel like most workplaces are there now. Most workplaces have a better understanding of mental health and supporting their staff. And I hope that that is the case for you. And I would also like to hear from the community. How do you guys treat your therapy appointments? What do you say to your employers? When do you book them? Do you like doing them later in the day like me? Let me know. Come into the Facebook community and tell us what you do in there. Moving on to question number three, how to feel at peace with having no weekend plans? And then in brackets, this listener has put after working all week. And I had to put this question in because... I low-key love that you asked. I feel like I'm the CEO of staying home on a Saturday night and I feel very qualified to answer this question. Obviously, without any other context, I'm going to make some assumptions for this listener. I'm going to assume that you work full-time because you said after working all week and I'm going to assume you don't feel peace when you are at home at the moment. And I'm going to go a little further and say you may be experiencing FOMO. Or if you don't know what FOMO is, it is fear of missing out. FOMO exists and it actually, I I joke and I say that I have JOMO, which is joy of missing out. And 
I have very positive feelings about staying home. So I'm going to give you some tips that help me channel the JOMO and move away from the FOMO. And the first tip is to look at what you really want to be doing and then practice that. This is your inner ability to judge what is essential to you and what you value. It is what feels good for you, what makes you happy, not what feels good for everybody else or looks good to everybody else. These are the things that contribute to the quality of your life. And I'll give you an example. For me, I have learned I much rather catching up with my friends, grabbing a coffee or grabbing a breakfast brunch on a Sunday morning versus like going out to the club or going out to the bar. I've learned that for me, drinking or partying or taking drugs doesn't make me feel very good afterwards. And I would rather do a workout or spend my weekend doing a bit of a reset, washing my bed sheets, cleaning the house, cleaning my room, spending time with Franklin. I love spending time with him on the weekends. And I would think even getting a dog made me want to stay home more. <laughs> Because if you have a dog, you will know when you go out, you're like, fuck, I wonder what they're doing. I wonder if they're okay. And you always want to like go and be with them. So I feel that. And my advice on this tip is if it feels good for you, that's all that matters. I still definitely go out here and there. I think it's a bit of a balance, but now I just want to be on the way home before midnight. And I'm not trying to shame you if you do go out, if you're listening to this and you love going out and it feels good for you and it makes you happy, power to you. I went through my party phase, been there, done that. I know that that's not what I want to do anymore. There is nothing wrong with going out. Also nothing wrong with staying home. Tip number two is to shift your focus. Again, this is linked into gratitude, which is my favorite thing to do. It is focusing on what you do have, not what you don't have. FOMO is literally the fear of not having something. So you're, you're, you're missing the anticipation of something that you don't even know what, what it feels like or you don't even know is actually happening. And I think gratitude and practicing what you do have allows you to count the blessings and allows you to count where you are right now in this moment, which leads me to tip number three, and that is to practice mindfulness. So this is something that will help you in every single area of your life, but I think directly helps you with FOMO because it is being present in the here and the now. It is not focusing your energy on where you aren't. It is focusing your energy on where you are at and appreciating where you are in the moment. And I think that when you practice mindfulness, it helps you find that peace that you asked for in the question. And then tip number four is romanticize your life. And I'm going to do a podcast episode on this called like main character energy, but I do this with every little thing every single freaking day. You guys, I am the main character. I'm always having a moment. I see the mundane activities as an opportunity to have a mindfulness main character moment. It is slowing down. It's enjoying that morning coffee. It is enjoying that workout or enjoying that meal. It is taking the time to savor the moment got to wash your bed sheets, got to go to the laundromat. Amazing main character moment. Again, it helps keep you in the here and now. And you can absolutely make any moment a main character moment and you can romanticize any moment in your life. I always say that. And then tip five is to limit or take a break from social media. This is my last tip. I wasn't going to put it in, but then I was like, no, put it in because it's important. And the reason I say that is because the other tips are more for the root cause of the FOMO, whereas I think limiting your time on social media is more like a band-aid to the FOMO. But I still think it's important because having a break from social media is probably a good thing and probably necessary. And FOMO exists now because life was very different 
you know, 60, 70 years ago. We didn't know what our friends were doing back then. You couldn't see what everyone was up to. But now you've got phones everywhere. You've got multiple social media apps. You can see what people are doing at every moment of every day. And so knowing when to take a break and knowing that there are always going to be people with exciting weekend plans that may trigger you or may cause you to feel that envy, but knowing it's okay to not log in or to scroll or to look at that. And maybe it's following people that are doing the things that you want to do so you can feel seen and validated about it. I always get comments about how seeing you home on a Saturday night you know, makes me feel seen. And I don't stay home on a Saturday night for anyone else other than myself. But if it makes someone else feel good about it, that makes me happy too. I am sending this listener lots of love. Having no plans is a vibe. I love having no plans. I actually dislike when I have a full calendar. And I would love to hear from the community too on your personal tips for navigating FOMO and how you deal with it or how you moved from FOMO to JOMO. And then diving into our very last question, this is a career one and it is a juicy one. I'm going to do another career episode, but the question is, should I stay with a company if it has career progression that I want, even if my boss is a bully? Now, as I said, I love career questions. Thank you for submitting this. I am sorry that you're in this situation. Having a boss like that is not a nice thing to experience. I also think that I've got lots of thoughts on career progression And considering it's something that you value so much, I agree that it is amazing. I agree that it is is something that I value and I would look for if I was looking for a role in another industry, if I wasn't doing my job now. But this company or the role or the team that you're in is not the only company or team that offers career progression. I'm not telling you to quit your job. (laughs) I'm not telling you to move teams, but I am saying what you are holding on to is not something that is scarce. It is something that exists in many roles, in many fields, in many industries, and it is something that most employers nowadays offer, and they offer it because they know it keeps employees happy, and they know that it keeps employees engaged. In my last job, sorry, not the last one that I had at the company before that, so two companies ago, I was part of the engagement committee. (laughs) Of course I was. I would always put my hand up for like extracurricular shit, but one of the focuses was engagement. And one of the focuses was how do we keep our employees engaged? And it was to offer them career progression. And it is, I think, in all of the roles I've had, something that has been there. And so I'm not seeing it as such a scarce thing. I'm not sure what industry you're in. I'm not sure what field you are in. But there may be other employees out there who can offer you that with a different boss. The other thought I have on this is that usually our boss they are the one who helps you with that career progression. So I think, again, corporate roles, any roles that involve career development, I don't know what field you're in, but career progression doesn't happen randomly. To grow and excel in your career, you need a support system and a key member of that support system is actually your boss. And so you do need their support. You do need their respect. And a good boss will communicate with you regularly. They will treat you with kindness. They will uplift you. They will celebrate your wins. They will believe in your upskilling and encourage you to get training or put you forward for opportunities. They will encourage you to challenge yourself and they will also connect you with the right people and right opportunities at the right time, which is the biggest key part of career progression. Now, I don't have any more context on this question in regards to the bullying. If your boss is not doing that and doing the opposite of that, treating you like a number, not talking about your pathway, not investing in you, not believing in you, 
isn't making time for you or doesn't provide feedback or what you need, then there may be some tough decisions there for you to make. Again, I am just making assumptions here. I don't know what your boss is or isn't doing, but in my mind, it looks like there's two options. There's the option of communicating. I don't know if it is to your boss or maybe to an HR department or maybe to another person at work about what it is that you want and need to help you with that career progression and articulating your value and demonstrating that value. Or are you potentially looking for a new boss? I can't tell you which one to do. I just want you to consider all the options and I want you to consider all the possibilities. And I want you to know that career progression exists in many fields. Good luck. Career stuff can be tricky and can be hard to navigate, but it sounds like you're already on the right path because you know what you value in a role. As always, you guys know, I love to know what you think. So come and join us in the Facebook group. What should this listener do? What would you say if you have had a mean boss and then gone on to find a better role? Let me know. All right, we're going to wrap the show. Guys, have a great weekend. Do something this weekend or do nothing. Do what makes you feel good. Maybe it's applying for jobs or maybe it's having a deep chat with your partner. As always, if you are not already, please follow us on Instagram. It is your safe space pod or at Adele Marie. That's mine. The podcast one is the podcast one, but it's me that manages that one. So it's me on both of them. Join our Facebook group, Your Safe Space Podcast. We have over 3,000 legends in there. And I'm going to say, I'm asking for a review this week from the Apple listeners because I went and looked at our Spotify reviews. I went and looked at the Apple reviews. And I mean, leave me a Spotify review if you want, but we don't have that many Apple reviews. And I know that I have more listeners on Spotify, but if you listen on Apple, this is a personal call out for you. Please leave me a review. And if you love the show, of course, I mean, don't go leave me one stars. No, five stars only. I'm just joking. Leave me what you feel I deserve. Anyway, guys, have a good weekend. Have a great week. I will see you on Sunday. I'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.